0: This week's Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by Brian Aaron, Jeffrey Sire, Daniel Purcell, Tan Jin Ming. I love that name, by the way. Christopher Hudsmith, Brian Ganinger, Mark, Cello Porpleti Alarcon, Charles Albaugh, Trevor, whose name has lots and lots and lots of vowels at the end, Darren Apple, and Eric Steele. Faithful Spoiler rights, one and all, and this one goes out today. I'm going to try Ewit Veluglut. I tried to pronounce it right, and I had it wrong, so... Do not attempt to adjust the volume. We are controlling your MP3 player. We already control the horizontal and the vertical. Now we control the digital. We can change the focus from an indistinct whisper to crystal clarity. Sit quietly and listen along. We will control all you see and hear. You are about to experience the awe and mystery, which reaches from the inner belly button to the Major Spoilers podcast on the air. Welcome to
1: issue 511 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for, so much for being a part of the Major Spoilers Nation. Right. Head over to Majorspoilers.com for all the information that you're going to find. A lot on the plate this week, including uh, Tokyo Babylon, which we'll get to a little bit later. First of all, for those of you who don't listen to all of our other shows and were wondering, where was the Major Spoilers podcast last week? Internet outage.
0: Boo. Boo. Vintage.
1: I blame Zach.
0: I don't, yes. I don't work for your provider. Rodrigo well, and because I. Because Rod- I blame you because I would go Rodrigo to your provider
1: if your provider would come over sometime earlier between the stated times of April and August to hook up my fiber. So <laughs> I'm just
3: saying I would, I would hook it up if I knew how.
1: It's just right up there. It needs the adapter and the plug in and it's done. Mm-hmm. Sometime between support. April and August. So uh, listeners, if you want to find out what's going on, a couple of things you can do. You can follow us at uh, at Major Spoilers on Twitter. We'll update you if a show's not going to be there. Uh, you can certainly follow the, Master Spoil- or the Major Spoilers Master Podcast feed. Uh, you can find that over at iTunes. You can get all the shows. That way you can hear about what's going on. And uh, we hope that we don't have interruptions like that again, which are beyond our control because then it prevents us from getting to such wonderful fascinating things like news.
0: News.
1: So a couple of things this week. The Teen Titans Go has drawn a lot of ire. <clears throat> uh the Clone Wars is coming to an end on the Cartoon Network and You Make the Card says Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. You
0: make the card.
1: <laughs> Let's spin that wheel of destiny and see where we land. There it goes, there it goes, there it goes and there it stops. Right there on Teen Titans Go draws ire from fans. So, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that uh, they're canceling uh, um, Young Justice. Yes. right, And also the Green Lantern animated series. And they are bringing back, and this is DC Comics uh, action block in conjunction with Cartoon Network. They're bringing Teen Titans Go to the lineup. Now, Zach, you're mighty excited about this.
3: Uh, Well, <laughs> compared to everyone's hatred for what's come out, yeah that would that would mean i'm excited um i when i first watched the little uh thirty second teaser i th- i thought it was kind of funny uh and uh i'm actually seven year old zach kind of way that um i think it's, i think it's funny when people hit their head against uh walls to the sound of uh shopping music I think that's that's some good time funny.
1: Matthew, you took a look at this promo that Zach is giggling on about. <laughs> I did. What would you think of it?
0: Um, I, I think that it reminds me of nothing so much as all the promos for regular show. Oh. Which I, I think is a show that has kind of a, based on what I've seen, meaning that I've only seen the promos of either, uh, kind of a similar vibe and maybe mm. some similar sort of. Wah!
1: Oh, well, no! A regular, driving! Regular show, uh, Adventure Time, mm-hmm. super, Adventure super time. popular. Zach Very watches Adventure popular. Time all the time. No,
0: I know. I just know that's what they say. <laughs> the midget started watching a uh, regular show and quoting it, but misquoting it. So she'll say, can you do me a solid? And I'm like, do you know what that means? She's like, nope!
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Rodrigo, a lot of people are upset about this. And I think just to provide some historical context Hmm. In this conversation, Just, way, uh, way, way, way long time ago, seven years, eight years ago, Cartoon Network had a great show on called Teen right. Titans and it had a great song from, uh, what was it Yami Yamagumi, Yumi Yami Yumi, Yumi. 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 Yeah, Yami Yumi. And, you know, the T-E-E-N-T-I-T-A-N-S Teen Titans. Let's go. And it was a great show. A lot of people were super excited about it. A lot of people love that show. And then Cartoon Network said, "Eh, we're going to cancel it, but we're going to put in this uh, Batman show and we're going to put in some of these other shows. And people kind of forgot about Teen Titans, still wanting it to come back. Uh, They came up with this Young Justice series, which at the first a lot of people weren't too sure about. And then they got on board with that. Mm -hmm. And now DC and Cartoon Network says, no, we're canceling uh, Young Justice and we're bringing back Teen Titans. Go! And a lot of people suddenly got excited because they're like, oh, my gosh, you are bringing back the stuff that we wanted. We've been asking you for years to bring back the teen Titans, this animated series. And then people got to look at these interstitials that, uh, was that were running during the, um, DC nation block. And it's chibi teen Titans and it's silly goofiness. And it's not the teen Titans that we remember from that cartoon show. And I think a lot of people are just upset that they're going with that as the show, as opposed to bringing back the old series.
2: I see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, personally, <laughs> I never terribly cared for the original Teen Titans cartoon. Why not? Why not? Um, <laughs> honestly, because it was already too chibi for me. Mm. Even even in that version, um, I was annoyed by the fact that it was. Like it's I, I feel that it's one thing if you are influenced by you know, animation or styles from somewhere else. And it's another thing if you are trying to like clinically like reproduce it in a right, lab. Right. And that's a lot of the time what Teen Titans felt like to me. Like this is the point in a Japanese cartoon where a character's head gets really big and they wave little tiny arms around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that happens. You know, but it kind of didn't have the same flow, but it still needed to maintain the flow and the structure of an American cartoon, otherwise people would freak out. So I would watch this and be like, I don't know, it was like somebody offering me a plate of chicken and then like pouring chocolate sauce all over it. And I was like, well, you like chicken and you like chocolate, so why don't you like this? And so chicken why. mole
0: is really good. Uh,
2: yes, but <laughs> you have to add 17 to 30 <laughs> other ingredients to that before it's good. So, so yes. uh,
1: you know, one of the uh, reasons in the oh, end,
2: uh, the original Teen Titans was trying to make mole with only w- two ingredients. And what do you if think you, of- if you want to see it that way?
1: And what do you think of Teen Titans Go? This promo you know, that you've
2: seen from from what I saw, it looks cute and it looks funny. But again, I'm not terribly interested in it. Um, I stopped watching Young Justice because it started annoying me. Either even though the um, art style was very cool and the action was very cool and the character design was awesome. Um, it just kinda didn't do it for me. So I mean I, I I'm kind of just generally lukewarm on the DC animation stuff. I never got a chance to watch the Green Lantern show, um, which I always kinda wanted to, but I've just I, I guess I never put it into my schedule to go track it down. Right. It's not on Netflix. Um, I don't know if it's on Hulu, but again, the, the, the sources that I used to get my entertainment, it was not available there. Right, right, right. So, um, and I hear that's being canceled as well. Yeah, it's being canceled as well.
1: And as well, and, you know, just kind of a throw a, another twist into it, not only are they canceling Young Justice, Green Lantern, the animated series, they're also canceling uh, Clone Wars, the animated or the right. uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. the Clone Wars. Uh, they're not renewing that with the Cartoon Network. Now, that's a different company. That's not Warner Brothers. That's Disney making that call. But apparently they have a bunch of stuff in done for a sixth season, uh, but they're not putting it out on uh, Disney XD, which is what a lot of people thought. So I'm I'm wondering, Disney vault. I don't know if it'll go to the vault or if it'll be a direct to DVD or if they'll (laughs) release it in some other, other fashion, but it seems kind of, uh, for cartoon fans who are fans of this kind of stuff, cartoon network yanking, you know, three big comic book, uh, pop culture properties like that, Mm -hmm. or in conjunction with their parent companies, uh, seems like a real low for, for fans.
0: Well, it depends on what you're fans of. I mean, yeah,
1: Or what the audience are going for. Because I
3: think if I sit my brother down in front of this Teen Titans Go thing, I think he'll find it pretty funny. So let me ask you this.
0: I'll bet you the midget will love it. Let me ask you this for both of you guys.
1: Is your brother or your midget, I mean your widget, going to, um, are they going to go buy the toys after they watch this? Are they going to go buy Um, the action figures? Oh, it's hard to when you live in the desolate town of where my brother lives. (laughs) Are you going to go try and pick up the comic books of uh, Teen Titans Go? Uh,
0: well, maybe? she has no. already been interested in the comic books of My Little Pony and Adventure Time and that other one. Um, what's the one with the thing?
2: I believe it's actually called That Other One. That's what they're titling. The, show. Other show. Oh, uh, yeah. and, the Other Show. And Popeye. And Popeye, too. Uh-huh.
0: So, I mean, it's it's not as though it's unheard of. Right. I would say probably, yeah.
1: Okay, so 50%. Let's hope that there's enough people interested in doing that because that's one of the things that are... That really kind of has an ultimate say on whether these shows mm-hmm. go is the merchandising resell. And we already saw with uh, Symbionic Titan that that show got canceled because they couldn't do merchandise. I don't remember. I guess I've seen a few toys based on the Green Lantern animated series, but not very many. Uh, they have a comic book too, don't they? they? Do they? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have yeah. never, I've I don't not know how read it that. Sells. Um I when know you, the Star Wars stuff this, was selling. The only well. thing
0: that I know about it is that when we were returning DC books a couple of months ago, we still had some of them on the stands. Mm. So
1: Yeah, so I guess we'll see. Teen Titans Go. doesn't say when it looks like it's going to premiere uh, Tuesday, April twenty-third yeah. at seven thirty PM and will run during the DC Nation block on Saturdays at ten thirty.
2: I think I think one other thing that we have to think about here is that this is a weird cross section. Of Well, not a terribly weird cross-section. Well, okay, never mind. This is a cross-section of people that might not be used to this. Um, Right. These are comic book fans coming to watch these cartoons, and now these cartoons are being canceled, and they're really upset about that, and they're, to a certain degree, trying to do the same thing that they do with comics, which is to make a lot of noise. Until the, you know, publisher comes back and says, okay, we'll throw you a bone, the fans.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Right.
2: But cartoons get canceled all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't yeah. come back at all. Like, you know, because the production uh, costs to create a, you know, 22-episode TV show, especially an animated TV mm-hmm. show, are approximately the price of 10,000 comic books. Yeah, you know, I,
1: I've said it before... That uh, we're going to see major motion pictures. We're going to see TV shows being funded through Kickstarter. We've already seen it happen this past week with uh, Veronica crick. Mars. They
3: got a lot of Whoa. money fast.
1: Yeah, they got it within two, 24 hours.
3: Two million a day. Yeah.
1: Um. So, you know, if people really want to, and if, and I still think, I mean, Veronica Mars was being done by the producer, the executive producer of that mm-hmm. series, not by the, uh, any kind of a parent company. But I bet if Warner Brothers plunked down and said, okay. You guys want to see more Green Lantern in the animated series, here's how much money we have to raise to keep up that quality of work. And then mm-hmm. I think you're going to see Rodrigo people putting their money where, you know, mm-hmm. where their mouth is. And right. um if it doesn't get funded, Warner Brothers has a justification for saying, Yeah, see, you guys, you're not interested enough in funding, that, you know, fronting this amount of money.
2: Yeah, and that is nice to a certain degree. I mean because that does put a certain amount of control on those people. You can right. always mm-hmm. You know, you as a consumer, when you're watching television, rely on advertisers to pay for the stuff that you're doing. If the studios put it directly in the hands of the people, then, or maybe more exactly in the wallets of the people, then um, things are more likely to at least reflect, uh, in truth, the... The fervor of the audience, if you will. Right. But doesn't it also feed into that expectation
0: that everything has to be a known property or a remake or a reboot or something with the same name so that we can attract those people who loved Veronica Mars or who loved Dark Shadows or who loved these things? Because I don't know that we're going to get the same response if if Rodrigo and I show up on Kickstarter saying we want to do this awesome new show and it's about this band of adventurers and they run around you, and what there about are his.
1: people all the time that are doing that yeah i mean you right. know that's what that's what kickstarter is it's not known properties coming forward and saying hey we uh have a known property that we want to produce these are unknowns coming forward and saying hey there's a documentary i want to do here's a sample How here's what of we're them working have on the here's the, the goon Mars
2: thing has. you know you know what a the, lot of them a lot and, and uh, an unknown property on Kickstarter is not going to explode overnight the way that Veronica Mars does, for no, example. No, no, no. Um, also, I don't think anybody has stopped pitching ideas to Cartoon Network. Right. So, if we have an idea for a show about a band of adventurers who are also, I don't know, sh- they all drive around in a food truck in space. Um, copyright major spoilers, 2013. <laughs> um we could go to cartoon network shop it around to actual movie, like actual tv studios and do that so to a certain degree you know the avenue of kickstarter exists but there's no reason why a creator or a creative team has to see it as the only option right. now you know tv used to be the only game in town and then cable kind of took over that Now the internet opens that up. And I mean, you don't even actually have to go through Kickstarter. If you get, you know, your own individual advertisers, you know, YouTube will give you money to do things. Yeah. 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 If you can show them that you can do things.
1: Right. Uh, Matthew, you're asking um, about unknown properties. Here's a comic book uh, property, a graphic novel biography of Nikola Tesla, still 11 days to go, has been funded 518% of their initial target. They wanted $7,400. They got $38,000.
0: Right. And, And I'm familiar with how that works. What I'm saying is not that Kickstarter doesn't work if it's not a known property. What I'm saying is if we apply that Kickstarter mentality with this, oh, my God, look what we got for Veronica Mars, I think that it's just going to continue feeding the beast that says you can't make something new and different.
5: Uh, well, Instead, I can we s- I can see where you're coming from. Known
0: properties, we have to make we have to make a Veronica Mars movie, or we have to revamp Austin Powers for a new millennium.
1: I can uh, see it being that way, but there's a lot of other. I mean, I can see that mentality eventually forming, but that would be a long, long, long way off. That,
2: the thing is, though, that mentality already exists, right? I mean, we are, you know, in movies what are the big movies you know they're usually based on Oh they're talking about making another uh, tried it.
1: They're they're looking at remaking uh, Escape from New mm-hmm.
2: York There well, was some some year making a Star Wars movie with a 70 year old Han Solo Yeah mm-hmm. they, there was something there was some year in this past uh decade where like literally every major motion oh, picture yeah. was mm-hmm. a sequel Right yeah There was there might have been like one that wasn't Part of so, that So we're already in that vein Right at least maybe this way um, you can potentially get properties instead of just taking this huge gamble on whether people want to see a revamp of escape to New York or escape from New York. um, You can actually say, Hey, the people who wants to see a revamp of escape from New York. And then when everybody says, eh, I'm good with escape from LA, which basically was escape from New York again, You know, then that's that
1: one of the nice things um, that people have done with Kickstarter that I like is the goon. Um, A lot of people were really excited about seeing that, but all of the studios are like, "Eh, we don't know if this is, you know, we're Mm -hmm. as you said, Rodrigo, we're very and Matthew, we want to live in this world of doing things that we feel are safe and that we know about. So they went to Kickstarter to pitch this what is it, a 22-second sizzle reel, essentially, yeah, of the goon, and it's gotten funded, and now they can take that around to the studios and say, look at what kind of return we've gotten just on this. Here's the sizzle mm-hmm. reel. Here's all the talent uh, tied in with it. You'd be silly to pass this up. So that kind of helps with some of the new properties. So- and, that's,
2: and that's a good thing about this very exciting time that we live in Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the Internet that it doesn't even have to be all one thing. You can go to Kickstarter to then... Get the the means to petition movie studios, right? Yeah, that's that's you know, really cool. A, or build a grassroots movement on YouTube before going to Kickstarter, before yeah. going mm-hmm. to the movie studios. Or if you have a strong enough property, skip the studios altogether. Or you can start uh, a podcast, get people to fund that, and then expand that into multiple uh, situations where you are creating content for other people. Hello, my name is Rodrigo Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Here for major <laughs> spoilers. Um, with our, uh, really at this point, uh, quite necessary, uh, pitch for funding. We have a funding goat, um, which was supposed to be a goal, but I think there was some kind of a translation error, uh, which we are trying to materialize. In any case, um, we are looking for uh, recurring donations. Uh, you can make a 2 a 5 or a $10 recurring donation. You can go to majorspoilers.com and there will be little buttons on the right side of the website that you can click. Um, what will we do with this uh, money?
1: Ooh, I'm glad you asked, Rodrigo. Not only will we be able to continue the major spoilers, podcast and all the shows in the major spoilers podcast network and the website will be able to bring back other features. And we were talking just last night and I think we finalized at least one new show that we're going to have for our $5 and $10 subscribers. So this is for $5 and $10 subscribers. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's going to be the Zach on film commentary track edition. That's going to come out where you can sit down and watch the movie and listen to us do a commentary track. That's one of the items there's another item that we're still talking about that'll be specifically for our $10 a month subscribers. And I think, Rodrigo, do we pretty much have it nailed down?
2: Um, I think there's still a couple of things to work out. The The basic idea is nailed down, but we still have to look at a couple of, of issues. Uh, I, I, it's not complete is, is, is the thing, but yes, we've got um, we I just need to like write out. A thing to the event him to approve and, and stuff.
1: And Matthew, check this out. Just last well, night we passed our ten percent mark.
2: Yeah. Rockola.
0: I'm hoping and that for by that, the you get seven seconds of song because that's all I can do without being <laughs> sued. Are you ready? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Da, 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 da. Okay.
1: And uh <laughs> so I'm hoping by the end of March we can hit the twenty-five percent goal. When we hit our fifty percent goal, uh we'll start releasing those um The, uh, the Zach on film commentary track. (laughs) Yes. We'll start releasing the hostages.
5: (laughs) We will start releasing your mothers and children.
1: More in front. I didn't mean to turn this into a a pitch, but now that it kind of transitioned into how do we fund things? Crowdfunding is what we're talking about. Uh, There's a lot of more details over at majorspoilers.com. If you want to read about the Clone Wars coming to an end, if you want to read Lucasfilm's official uh, statement, you can read that at major spoilers. Or if you just want to check out this Teen Titan Go uh, trailer that Zach posted earlier this this week, you can head head over to major spoilers and find it all there. Let us do some reviews. You know, something else, something else that you can also find a lot over at Major Spoilers Reviews. Mm. Try to do a new review every single day of the week. A lot of good original content every single day of the week. People have been asking.
0: Also, I write.
1: People have been asking, Zach. (laughs) Yes. Why don't you guys make some recommendations for comic books we should be picking up? That's interesting. Why don't we do that, Stephen? Well, we have for a long time. It's called the Major Spoiler Staff Picks. Every Tuesday morning. Uh, we or post if you're those
0: me, every other Tuesday morning
1: <laughs> we post those and share those, and you can read what uh, many of the writers over at major spoilers are picking up this week this week 's pick of the week Constantine number one Yay. from uh, d c comics and by the way, Matthew and I will be reviewing Constantine number One tomorrow, depending on when you 're listening to this, but we 'll be reviewing that on the next dueling review, so go check that out so let 's get to some reviews. Matthew, Rachel Rising, number 15. This is from Abstract Studios, and that's a Terry Moore imprint, I believe.
0: It is. And I'm a little confused by it because, well, and this is something that is very difficult for me. I read Strangers in Paradise forever, literally forever. I mean, 60 issues of the book came out over the course of about 16 years. And it was a very personal, very specific kind of thing. It was a book where the characters had very specific voices and the art was really, really – what's the word I'm looking for? Special. Um, Nice. Individualistic. And the characters didn't look like any other character. And nothing that you saw in the book looked like anything else that was on the market in terms of comic books. So – um that book ended some time ago, and several months ago, actually, well, at least 15 months ago, uh, Terry started this new book, Rachel Rising. Now, here's my problem. I work in a comic shop, and I have a couple of other things that I do, and I have this kid who shows up in my house and says, I want food. So I didn't necessarily pick up the first issue of Rachel Rising or the second or the third. This is the very first issue that I have ever picked up. And my biggest problem is that when you read something drawn by Terry Moore, it kind of looks like it's drawn by Terry Moore. And that's that's a good thing, and that's a bad thing. There's some very familiar stuff in the very first few pages of this book. Right. Uh, we open with a character lying in a bed in a coma, and a man watching her and sleeping. Uh, he is actually kind of funny, a huge bald guy with these thick glasses. The girl wakes up, and I'm struck by how much she looks like Francine from Strangers in Paradise. And then we meet Rachel, the titular Rachel, uh, the Rachel of the title, for those of you who don't speak, the Latin and or Greek and or whatever the hell that is. And Rachel, while differently Sized and not the same uh, exact sort of dimensions. She is a taller character is a slightish blonde woman who reminds me of Cachou. So I'm reading this book, trying to get past my expectations of this is, you know, Cachou and this is Francine, trying to get over that while enjoying every single page. Artistically, it's really, really gorgeous. Black and white title, but amazingly cool to look at. And the use of the blacks and the use of kind of not even gray tones, patterns even is interesting. At one point, Rachel is running about in this sweater and in each panel, he's gone to the point of drawing in the pattern on the sweater. It's a very intricate pattern. It's not the same every time, but you look at it and you're like, that's really like cool or something. And we get to the end of the book and There's a plague of rats coming through every entrance of the house. And I'll tell you, I have no idea what's going on in this book, but I kind of want to read the next issue anyway. More importantly,
1: importantly, do you want to go back and read the issues prior to this?
0: I really do, because based on what I'm seeing here, it feels like, well, first of all, the dialogue works. Even though the context isn't all there for me, there's nothing where you go, wait, what? There's nothing where you think this writing is ineffective or something bad oh. is happening. And the opening sequence where we start with the shot of a face and then a man holding a hand, and then his face, and then we cut back to a wide shot of the woman in the bed, just beautiful, beautiful art, beautiful blocking all the way through this. The way the story is being told is just excellent. And the fact that I don't understand the story doesn't come across as the story isn't being told well. It comes across as I walked into the middle of a fascinating conversation, and now I really want to kind of get some context so that I can go, hey, I would like to chime into this fascinating conversation. It seems like there's some magic y stuff going on, and I do like the magic y stuff, especially with, you know, giant rats and like that. Um, sight unseen, I would have said probably I'm not necessarily interested in the Rachel Rising books, especially 15 issues in. I was afraid I wouldn't know what's going on. I was afraid that it would be something where we're already in progress, and everything from this point on is just, you know, we're done here. But this book really, really upset that expectation. Three and a half slices of meatloaf for Rachel Rising, number 15. I'm going to go look and see if they have a trade paperback because I know I can't get the individual back issues. Or maybe I can I don't know. All right. I, I know the back issue guy at my comic store is what I'm saying, and I know he doesn't have any.
1: All right. Rachel Rising, number 15 from Abstract Studios. Last week, IDW Publishing released the second issue of the Rocketeer Hollywood Horror this one written by uh, Roger Langridge. Uh, most people saw him come on the scene, I think with the uh, Muppets uh, uh, series <laughs> when it was over at it's Boom Studio. It's time
0: to strap on rockets. It's time to fly around.
1: <laughs> J J Bone to doing J the, uh, J-Bone doing the art on this. Yeah. And this picks up uh, from the first issue where, um, you know, our, our hero Cliff is being chased by Monk and Ham, Doc Savage's sidekicks, although they're not spelled out that way. That goes back to uh, Cliff's uh, New York adventure that, uh, that uh, Dave uh, Stevens uh, put together way back in the day. And he's constantly being pursued at the same time scientists are disappearing, uh, and a strange cult-like guy is starting to gain gain some notoriety in and around uh, the Hollywood region. In fact, he has a very uh, big presentation over at uh, Griffith Ex- Observatory, and uh, some very Cthulhu-esque type things appearing throughout the issue. So, for me... You got the Rocketeer, Mm, you got 1930s, uh, early 40s um, uh, adventure stories.
0: Oh, you're right there. Throw
1: in some Cthulhu. And this should be a big slam dunk type tale. And it is. Oh, you know who else appears in here? This is what I really like about the first issue and the second issue is they're throwing in all of these other pulpy type um, characters. So we have Monk and Ham who aren't named and who aren't said Doc Savage. But we also get the Thin Man characters. Uh, mm-hmm. appearing in this book as well. And I thought that was fantastic how they do it. And they're doing it in a way where language doesn't have to come out and say, here's who these people are. But if you follow the clues visually, you can say, oh, that's who that is. And it works superbly well in uh, this book. Um, and this and the story, I don't I really don't have a problem with the story. I guess my main hang up is it's a different art style than what we've seen. It's not the Chris Samney art that we saw in the last Rocketeer story. It's certainly not Dave Stevens' uh, art. It is a different work. It's a different style. And it does take a little getting used to. But um, J-Bone's style does lend itself to making sure that Betty uh, looks very Betty-ish. And uh, that uh, the Rocketeer does look stunning. And that Monk and Ham and Peavy all look uh, recognizable. And so it does a good job. It, I, I do think, though, that the cartoony style... Kind of detracts a little bit from the the big story being told, but still a very, very, very good book. Rocketeer Hollywood Horror, way to go IDW for uh, not uh, uh, throwing this uh, series and this uh, creation down the toilet and serving up another issue that has uh, done a great job. I'm giving this one four slices of meatloaf out of five. The Rocketeer Hollywood Horror number two out last week from IDW Publishing. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, Zach, what do you got for us this week?
3: I am reviewing myth number one from Alterna Comics.
1: Uh oh, we're walking to dangerous territory here. Are we? We are. Oh, no.
3: Um, so, myth number one is <laughs> about a, uh, a, a young boy who is sent or he lives in a home, uh, presumably for orphans and he is not treated very well we open up the story and he is uh being brought back to the home because he just ran away and was caught by the people who work there and he gets thrown into a dungeon and he is shackled so uh not not the best place for children by any means and he runs off into a magical forest or yeah i would definitely say magical there's a giant tree and that moves and has tentacled. Are you like, sure it's not the deards. wind? Oh, no, no, no! Because then he fights a giant. Oh, okay. and the boy and the giant become friends, and the boy shares his comics with this giant, and they, uh, he shows him the house he came from, and the bad people are there, and it's not like the comics because there are no good people to come save the children from the horrors and such. But then they make costumes and they go and they kick the crap. Out of the two big bad guys, mm-hmm. and the boy shoots the young, uh, not the young, the old grizzly lady with the big nose right in the forehead with his slingshot, and all is well towards the end. And then there's like a little cliffhanger of some giant like metal robots and a talking owl. uh interesting ending. But uh, it was just this this book. It reminded me I was not on the podcast at this time. But, uh, I killed giants. Oh, you yeah, yeah, You guys yeah. about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in, in, in the end, is it like, it's all her in her head or something? If I remember you guys talking about it. It's, it's questionable. questionable. Yeah, it's questionable. Right, when right. I was yeah. reading this, it kind of had that same feeling of, this might be all in his uh, head of him imagining his giant friend, because the giant never talks. And, uh, again, there's a giant tree with tentacles that fight and a talking owl. So it has a has a a feeling that this could all be imaginary but right now it seems like this is this is reality and it was it was a, it was a nice story of a boy and his friend the Aww. art style is it's all black and white it's, right it's all black and white is is wonderful the use of negative space throughout the issue to convey the the, the, loom, the looming scariness of the forest and just the detail in general was is wonderful to look at, uh, consistent throughout. Really, just a really solid issue. Yeah, I enjoyed I, it a lot. As you're
1: talking about it, and I'm flipping through here, and it does look really fantastic yeah, from really from the nice. art goes. And it's, I mean, if you're going black and white, I mean, you're right. They really handled all of the all of the space correctly mm-hmm. without muddying it with yeah. a bunch of extra stuff.
3: Yeah. Who's the art by? Check again, because it's really good art, and not art that I. Generally expect for some time of the smaller publishers, not that they have mm-hmm. bad art, but sometimes it's sketchy, but this is really good. It's by Dan, Dan Lauer. Lauer. Mm-hmm. Really good art. Really good art. Solid issue. And um I follow the creative team on Twitter, and if you buy Myth through Comixology, all of the proceeds are going to, hold on, let me get this right, childhelp.org, which is... um an organization that helps prevention and treatment of child abuse. Oh, very so, cool. Good uh, cause to go out and buy some comics and read a good comic. This is a this is a this is a four and a half slice of
1: meatloaf comic. Nice here, folks. Buck ninety nine. Nice. Yeah. Buck ninety nine digitally. So it's not like a three ninety nine, five dollar book or anything like that. Very nice. All right, Rodrigo, wrap us up. Please tell us that we've got a Marvel or DC title here because I don't want people rioting and saying, You guys never review Marvel or DC books.
2: We have a Marvel or DC book. But that's a lie because this is not not a. No. Office. Um although I am oh, sure wait, there's a delay I was knowing Marvel. Uh, I'm sure that the uh the title is probably an anagram for Luke Cage and Pasta. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Uh okay, so I'm looking at uh the Bionic Man annual number 1 by a company
1: Dynamite Entertainment. By Dynamite
2: Diamond, Who's?
1: Dynamite. Dynamite. Dynamite.
2: Yes. <laughs> I read this. You don't have to worry about that part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh you know, the Bionic Man is um Steve Austin astronaut. Yes, a the, man barely alive. Exactly, the the six million dollar man, as he is often known. Uh, I'm gonna guess has uh, been transmogrified title wise into the Bionic Man because six million dollars probably doesn't buy you a bionic leg anymore, uh, much less a whole man. Um, is now correct me if I'm wrong. There is an ongoing series. Yeah, this right? is
1: the on. This is the ongoing. It's right. it's also so, written by Scott Beatty.
2: And, and this is what, this is what is great about this issue. It's an annual, it's a standalone issue of an ongoing series. And I get personally, am familiar with, uh, with the six million dollar man. Um, so I don't know if somebody who had never at all read or seen the show would be totally confused, but I wasn't. You know, I came right in and, they were like, "Oh, a space probe has landed, and it's dangerous and stuff." And I was like, "All right." Um, I was uh, looking for little sound effects, but um, I didn't see them. Is it a Venus probe? It's a Venus probe. <laughs>
4: Rock the Venus probe!
2: I love the it's Venus a, probe. It's a Venus death probe. So I had a toy uh, Venus death probe when I was seven. the The Chinese launch a probe. And it lands in Alaska and it's supposed to go to Venus, but it lands in Alaska. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, you get to see the like big shadowy table of important American uh, heads going like, well, you know, were they really did they really mean to do this? Or did they mean to shoot it into Alaska to spy on us and to test our stuff out? Because this thing's like super dangerous, you guys. It's like, I know we'll throw the bionic man at it. And he jumps out of an airplane. He's like, yeah. So he fights it. And then we find out that there's like guys, a whole, like more than one, like several bionic Chinese projects Mm -hmm. that combine humans and or robots with other robots. So, yeah, that happened.
1: Yeah, so the no. just out of just for context, Rodrigo, since you haven't read this series, there actually are a bunch of other countries and companies working on Bionic Man cyborg projects. So it's mm-hmm. for this series that is not totally unknown or but unfamiliar we, territory.
2: But and I'm getting this from context, we didn't know what the the extent of the Chinese project. True was, and not only do they have a complete uh, Bionic Man comparable with powers comparable to steve austin um they also had like the the program has evolved beyond that and that's kind of what the issue was here um that it had potentially evolved beyond their control beyond the government's control Mm -hmm. so it's it, it was all pretty interesting the art was decent there are cool little things about it like and then one like something punches the Bionic Man into a frozen lake, and they're like, "Oh no, can he survive it?" And then a scientist is like, "Well, of course he can. You know, cybernetics function better in the cold." And then he like pops out, and he's like, "Ah, punch!" It's great. Uh, so I'm gonna give this one four slices of meatloaf. I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this. Um, you know, the Bionic Man. And the Bionic uh, peoples in general um, are, I think, a difficult property. They're a property that is tied to a very particular moment in television history. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that they're actually making it work in modern comics, so a different medium, a different era, um, it is actually really cool. Because I always enjoyed it when I watched it. Oh, so yeah. it's nice to see that, you know, however many years later, when I'm encountering this property again, um, it is enjoyable to my current brain.
1: And if people uh, have watched the original series and they now know why Matthew is so excited because of uh, the episode da, da, called Death Probe. Da, da. Mm-hmm. Death that, probe. Uh, so it's nice that they're taking some yep. of those uh, plots There's and stories. And, and a later episode
0: him. where the Death Probe comes back and Steve Austin has to get hip from Bigfoot, who, by the way, is also bionic. To help take out the death probe the second time.
1: All right. So Mm -hmm. books this week from uh, (laughs) IDW Publishing, Dynamite Entertainment, Abstract Studios, and Alterna Comics. It's great to go out there and experience some of the uh, offerings from other companies. And listeners, again, if you want to read some more reviews, (laughs) Majorspoilers.com is where you want to go. And you can even read the uh, Batman and Robin number 18, which uh, is the follow-up. To uh, what happened to the death of Robin. Robin! Which brings us to... It's time. There you go.
0: For the millions in attendance. And even a stop clock is right twice a day. It's time.
1: For that truck to drive by and us the to think about, <laughs> to think about the re- death. Think
6: we're- Death, death,
1: death, death, and death. Lots of things uh, happening when we talk about death
0: with the devil. That's death, death, hell, Armageddon, death. It it
1: seems like it seems like this is just my take on it. Mm -hmm. That death has become somewhat of a revolving door, almost meaningless in today's comic book world. And so, the question this week is: Should death in comics be permanent? Zach, yes. Or no?
3: Um... I would uh, say yes, just for the fact that then there is a sense that the drama is real and not a manufactured plot that is designed to sell a a piss ton of issues and subsequent... subsequent or it is
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, good one zach uh-huh.
3: oh nice um and then i just think it would it would hang, think would have hold more weight knowing this person is not coming back because right. I mean, death in the real world is is heavy because this person is not coming back Right. But right right in a fictional world where someone dies and you know in a year and a half I'm going to get to read this character again. Mm -hmm. It's not as
0: heavy. Matthew, what about you? Well, this is a difficult question. Partly the way it's phrased um, throws some difficulty onto it for me. But also, I've always believed that comic books work best when there is an element. And even if it's not a superhero story, and honestly, any type of storytelling when there are rules, but the rules aren't necessarily arbitrary. Given the number of times that characters have died and been resurrected, you know, starting from the first character to be murdered in comic books in July of 1941, less than three years into the existence of comic books. Some of them have been silly. Some of them have been ridiculous. But there have been a few really great stories about characters dealing with death coming back from the dead or even flat out being resurrected i mean the the phoenix story in x-men would not be possible if we said there are no deaths in comics now do i believe that jason todd coming back from the dead was a good idea no do i believe that it was handled well no do i believe that barry allen should be flash again at this point in time no barry allen's death should have been permanent but To say that death in comics should be permanent is to arbitrarily cut off part of the storytelling engine of comics. And I feel like if you're going to put a governor like that on the story, it's just as bad as coming in and arbitrarily saying that no death is going to stick. I mean, coming back from the dead in superhero comics has become a cliche. But just because something is a cliche doesn't mean that it's not something that can be used for an effective story. And I feel like I had to say, no, comics, death in comics should not always be permanent because it's part of what comics are and what they've become over the last 80 years. And being able to have somebody deal with that death in that comic book storytelling, even if Superman came back, that doesn't change the fact, well, his death was stupid, but there are, there are good deaths out there that were handled well. Well, and there are resurrections that were handled well. And to say that you can't do a resurrection, Marvel did that for about five years around the turn of the century. But the, the at the point where Joss Whedon came in and said, I have a great story and a clever way to bring back Colossus, Joe Quesada said, you know what? We're, we're going to let you do this because that story worked and it was well
2: told. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, well, I think uh, the the issue here is kind of tied to what is what what is really at the core of this question i think this question is really asking should death be permanent in superhero comics put out by marvel comics and dc comics right because should death be permanent in a comic that is put out that that is about should death be permanent in a Highlander comic? Right, probably not.
1: Well, but that's not how that world works, though.
2: Exactly, precisely, and that's the that's the issue. There is that in the weird, like not like you know, can't think more than two seconds ahead. Story wise, revolving writer, messed up editorial decree, world of DC and Marvel. Having permanent deaths is, in a way, just another stipulation. Just like saying, oh, we really want to push Luke Cage, so make sure that he's in every comic. Or, oh, Spider-Man's got a movie coming out, make sure his wife disappears. You know, things like that. So, should death be permanent in comics? I think that if, I, I think the real question is, should writing be better? In superhero comics. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, yes um, it should. And should that... death be permanent in comics? I'm going to say yes because I think that is part of that medicine that superhero comics need. Then you know, superhero comics for the big two need to be sat down and said, Okay, guys, let's tell stories. If somebody dies, they're dead because death has to have meaning. Otherwise, nobody actually cares about what's happening and all you're selling are covers.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: That, so that's my vote was for yes, it should be permanent because I think that's part. And again, assuming that we are just constraining it to superhero comics by the big two. Yes, you guys uh, need to take it to, to take it down a notch and keep it up. people dead and also kill people less often because of that same reason. Right. Okay. So
1: I also voted uh, yes for death in comics should be permanent because, again, it it doesn't allow death to be a crutch. Right. And it forces the writer to ensure that if they're killing that character, that they and the company really knows what it means to kill a character. Can there be resurrections in death? Well, during the Silver Age, certainly we saw a number of times where Lois Lane knew for sure that Superman was Clark Kent, but it turned out to be Bruce Wayne. Oh, Lois, you silly girl, you know, that kind of stuff. But they were playing the switcheroo, I think, in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, where Bruce Wayne dies and comes back. That was a drug enhancement. That was not a re I mean, it wasn't a death death. It was planned from uh, Bruce Wayne to do that from the beginning. Um, when he went to go fight Superman to have Oliver Queen say, you know what I need to, you know, in order for me to save all these people or whatever, I've got to blow up in this plane. If he's going to die, he needs to die. Just like Matthew said, Barry Allen should never have come back. He should have been dead. Um, the the problem that I have, and and you know if if you do come up with and and there's always a loophole around this beyond the the gimmick I planned this and mm-hmm. I mean that's always an easy out just like right. in the soap operas that Matthew compares comic books to all the time. Um, the easy out is and this is a bad thing to say, but Legends of the Dark Knight. You know if you kill uh-huh. Batman and you want to tell a Batman story, well here's a story here's an, a series that we have that tells stories that are not in current continuity stuff that happened in between all those story arcs. If you mm-hmm. want to tell a Luke Cage story, here's a four issue arc that took place between nineteen seventy you know, the October of 1977 and December of, of 1977. And there's where you can tell your story. So there could be those kinds of things that could work around it. But you know, when you kill a character and it's as, as Zach said, there to build up uh, sales. And then the very next issue, you have Peter Parker returning as a ghost kind of nullifies any kind of excitement and it means that no matter what your characters are never going to come to harm because even if they do they're miraculously going to be resurrected and and carry on so i i do believe that death should be treated a little bit more seriously and if they're going to kill a character i think that character should remain dead uh
2: sherlock holmes didn't remain dead
1: well yes
2: Sherlock Holmes is a great example of the Mm. author being like, yep, but now the character's dead. And then all of a sudden the fans are like, no,
1: basically says, uh, coos, uh, basically death doesn't mean an S word. So I can, can't understand why everybody was so angry about spoilers regarding Damien's death. Um, Alan says, you didn't have my exact answer, but I picked the closest. I think death should be permanent. Most of the time with a resurrection being a gigantic deal in the comic. Okay. That's, that's valid. Um, uh, Pontus says I voted no because I think that should not be permanent in all comics for some universes I think that being raised from the dead as it were not only is okay but it can enhance the story not to mention that entire genres in some fantastic stories would suddenly be uh, invalidated I do however think that in mainstream comics death is taken too lightly and and it seems that at worst characters come back as they were but with a slight chip on their shoulder so they can be marketed as a bit edgier yeah uh, you know, there's always uh, the, you know, the classic uh, uh, Greek myths where they go to the underworld to save somebody. Um, they did that right. with the uh, uh, Justice League Lord International, the where they if went you, down to, to resurrect uh,
2: Ice. Ice, yeah. Yeah, if you look at something like Dragon Ball Z, where after the first couple times somebody dies, there is like a a system for getting people back from the dead. And then that becomes part of the world. It's like nobody stays dead in that universe um, as long as they can go for a you know 60-day jog or somebody gathers a bunch of magical spheres to bring them back.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Omaha says, a permanent death in comics, if done right, can impact the overall flavor of the universe. The death of Bucky meant that there were no teen sidekicks in the Marvel Universe for decades. The deaths of Thomas and Martha Wayne and Uncle Ben were formative incidents for Batman and Spidey. The death of Gwen Stacy ushered in an entire age of of comics. The revolving door that has become death in comics has certainly helped to push the medium into the realm of soap operas on paper. Peter Parker's death lasted less than an issue. Damien's death might as well come with a Lazarus Pitt countdown timer. I say if death is to have some meaning and impact, make them permanent. Matthew, how did the rest of the major spoilers nation vote?
0: Have we even seen a Lazarus pit in the new Fifty Two? We have not. But then again,
1: where is that line blurred? I, I think it, the problem is Batman Inc. or Batmanic um, I mean, is um, it, it still crosses between both worlds as far as where the story began and where it ended. So in Batmanic in the in the old Fifty Two, yeah, there were Lazarus pits, but we also haven't seen Rachel Gould in the new Fifty Two. So who knows?
0: Interesting. of the votes, 543. There's a lot more votes this week. Well, because it went to two weeks. It was up for two weeks. Shh, stop killing the jokes. They're young. 27% saying no. 73% saying yes, Death in Comics should be permanent. Had you phrased this question differently, I would probably have gone with yes. But, you know, again, saying that something should be permanent means that, you know, they never, ever, ever get to bring it back.
1: Well, that's something that you have to deal with, right?
0: I don't think so, not in storytelling. Part of the reason of storytelling is to get around that. I mean, that's why we have the myths and legends that we do is to mm-hmm. try and, you know, whistle in the dark and avoid mm-hmm. the horrible fate that awaits us all. Yeah. There's a reason why resurrection is such a widely used trope. It's because it's pretty much wish fulfillment for Anybody who's lost anybody or knows people who've lost. anybody, sure. So saying that you can't ever use that. I'm not sure I'm on board.
1: I can see your, your point of view. All right, listeners, you can head over to major spoilers.com. You can cast your vote. You can read all of the comments and there are a lot. Uh, this time of comments and some of them are very long and very well thought out. And some of them are very short. Yes or no. you can head over to major com and, uh, and check those out. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, we've got someone who, uh, wants to weigh in on the death poll. And then we have uh, a review of the uh, movie Oz from last week from our good friend Cat Halo. And a little bit more. Stick around.
6: Hello, this is Les calling from the far side of the world. Uh, do death and comics have to be permanent? No, I don't think so. I used to be a real continuity loving guy, and I follow certain series religiously. But then a wise man named Matthew Peterson told me that a story can still be a good story without you having to know the beginning, the middle, and the end. And you don't have to know all that happens in the series to enjoy a part of it. So now just read good books, F and continuity. Thank you, Major Spoilers, for that. Whether the way the big two are treating the death of comic book characters these days are the best way to do it, well, that's an odd story altogether. Thank you for making on Major Spoilers every week, and I hope you reach your founding code. Thank you. Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Just me, Cat Halo, back again with a few thoughts and a few jokes. Firstly, Oz, they're great and powerful. Has to be said, it's neither really great or powerful, but it is pretty darn good. It'll never be remembered as a classic, but it's good fun. Franco is Franco again, but in this it works. In fact, all the performances are a little hammy, but they all fit the tone very well. It looks pretty. It's wonderful, with lots of... Trademark Reamy-ness, which I love. I've always been a fan of Sam Raimi's movies. And there's a lot of very good three D E bids too. In short, I like it. It's a damn sight better than Alice in Wonderland and it's worth going to see. On the comics front, I finally got to finish Brant Morrison's Happy, which I also really liked. It was essentially James Stewart's Harvey through Morrison's Bizarre Prism, you know. It was funny, somewhat touching, and all in all, an enjoyable read. Um I was reading the new JLA the other day, which got me wondering. Um, Well, firstly, I thought the JLA was sort of all right, not great, but, you know, okay. But it got me wondering, as I said, how long in advance are comics and comic stories planned? In the centre pull-out of the DC Free Comic Book Day book last year, Vibe is present in the Trinity War tease. And I was wondering, had they worked out the JLA thing that far back, or, you know, what the story is? And, um... Well, that's about it, really. I'll leave it there. Um, my Oz review is up on MajorSpoilers dot com, so you can check it out and leave comments if you agree or disagree with my take on it. Um, check out my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies, if you're interested. Also, you know, you can follow me on the Twitter at Cat Halo Movies, and that'll do. Thanks, guys. Have a fantastic week.
5: Hello, Major Spoilers. It's Russ Cat from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Colin. and I have a question for you guys. Um, it appears that the Before Watchmen series is drawing to a close. And I was wondering if you guys could take a moment and look back uh, about six months ago when this started and give me your opinion as to whether these miniseries were actually good um, or were they even necessary? Um, I didn't read them at all. I wanted to see what they became once they concluded and then pick up the trades or not. And so I was wondering if they, if any of these series are actually a good buy. Um, love to hear your opinions on that. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who called in and contributed and people who post and share their comments online and even for people who send us emails to podcast at com. Each and every one of you is appreciated, and we listen to them all and we read them all, even though we may not uh, read them all on the show. Question, Matthew? Uh, yes. came in in that last bit about Watchmen. I think you're the only one, to my knowledge, because I certainly haven't read any of the before Watchmen stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, uh-huh. was the is the Watchmen miniseries event, was it actually worth it? Was it good? Was it a good idea? Should he be picking this up in uh, paperback form?
0: Well, here's the problem that you have, is you're dealing with nine different series. So, you know, I can say that I enjoyed Silk Spectre, I really enjoyed parts of *Minutemen*. The comedian was something, and Rorschach existed, and there was apparently a Moloch series in there as well. So, saying is the entire *Before Watchmen* good is like saying, uh, you know, is the entirety of that taco not going to be poisonous? And the answer is usually, boy, I hope so. I would say it's worth checking out, but it's kind of worth checking out for me more as a curiosity.
1: So, would you say borrow this from the library? If the library gets it, ask yes, the library to buy it, and then definitely pick up, the- check
0: it out, read it. You know, get, get a get a chance to read it without actually shelling out for it. And then, if you love it, buy it and put it on your uh, you know your dresser next to the Watchmen trade paperback as a sequel. I don't. I still don't think that it was necessary as a storytelling device. I think that it was more necessary for the company. In terms of, you know, let's see what we can do in terms of, I don't want to say exploiting, but maybe exploring these characters while mm, sure. getting a little bit of a little bit of money off them as well.
1: I just, for whatever reason, had no interest. I think I picked up, like, the first issues of all of them, and I don't think yeah. I read any of them. I think I flipped it, through the, uh, the, uh, the Alex Ross, or not the Alex Ross, the Adam Hughes one, the, um, um, uh,
0: Silk Spectre? Silk Specter. No, that One, was Amanda yeah. Connor.
1: Oh, Amanda Connor. Okay. I, I know I yeah. flipped through that, but I just I never read it and I just never picked up the rest. I just had no interest in it. So
0: well the thing that you get into is the question of with that original twelve issue story, there's a specific voice and storytelling style. Right. And you've got nine different series with nine different voices and nine different storytelling styles. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily feel like you're reading about the same characters.
1: The Darwin Cook did the Minutemen.
0: Yes, that was good. Up to a point, that that series had a lot going for it, but I felt like it tried too hard to match up loose ends in the original story. Mm-hmm. Loose ends that weren't even really loose ends. There were bits and th- things that, for instance, in Hollis Mason's backstory that he couldn't talk about oh, in okay. his autobiography, which right, is right. where we heard most of Hollis's voice or right, right. wouldn't talk about or didn't. And I, I think it felt a little bit too much like somebody going in and trying to make everything tie up in a big bow. And part of the point of Watchmen for me was it felt more like life because it didn't do that.
1: Mm, I see. All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Matthew. And thank you, listeners, for calling in. If you want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, all you need to do is contact us at the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is?
0: 785 1539, the major spoilers on Miyochi Hotline.
1: And listeners, if you want to get the best sound out of your MP3 player, may we suggest you check out Tweaked Audio at tweakedaudio.com. They've got some great headphones. Use them all the time. I think all of us have them still. Mine are still working. Mine went through the wash and the dryer and (laughs) came out just fine. They have a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different colors to choose from. And check this out. They are engineered for durability, which is probably why they went through the washer and dryer unscathed. They've got a cool noise reduction design. They're compatible with iPods, iPhones, Android devices, all MP3 players. Retail price generally 19.95 to 34.99, but when you use the checkout code MAJOR over at tweakedaudio.com, you get 30% off the price. It's a pretty good deal from our friends oh, yeah. at tweakedaudio.com. Okay, this week we are going back Quite a number of years. Nineteen, what did I say, Matthew? Nineteen ninety one? Nineteen ninety one. One ninety two ninety three. Like to uh to uh some manga comics. People have been asking us to read some of that. And we're taking a look at Tokyo Babylon. Rodrigo, what is Tokyo Babylon about? Give us a rundown of uh the story that we find in here.
2: Uh Tokyo Babylon is the story of a young man. Who is a basically an exorcist. Um, he goes around and, um, sometimes there are mostly ghosts plaguing people or buildings or whatever. And he goes in and clears them out is, is the most basic, uh, part of it. Um, a lot of the comic revolves around his relationship with his sister. Mm-hmm. And with another uh, mystic who hangs out with his sister, um, and that develops that that develops along uh, the story first, kind of in the forefront, and then as the stories get more intense and more involved, tends to take a little bit of a backseat. Um, mm-hmm. It is set in 1991 in Tokyo, so you know people have beepers and stuff.
1: Well, and yeah, this was, you know, at the height of Japan's economy. So there's a lot of wealth and excess. And, I, and the general overall feeling that I get from this book is that the creators were trying to tie in that this wealth and excess is corrupting you. And that's what opens you up for these evil spirits to possess your clothes, to possess your mind, to possess whatever uh, possession was going on in that particular installment. This is all collected. And so our occultist had to go out there and dispense them. And some of the stories are really, really good. But generally, I kind of got that as an overall theme. And then, of course, we saw what happened in you know, mid to late 90s. All of a sudden, the Japanese economy collapsed uh, in on itself. And so this may have been one of those foreshadowing. You guys better <laughs> pay attention before something bad happens to you. You're going to bring <laughs> this all upon yourselves.
0: Bad things...
1: So, Zach, what was your overall... I would just... Uh, right now, let's get an overall impression of this book. Um, a couple other things people need to be aware of. It is published with uh, English translation, mm-hmm. but it's still yeah. published in the... Stop! You're reading the back of this book. <laughs> Please proceed to the back and read backwards. Right to left. Right. Top to bottom.
3: Um, Overall... Uh... It was I would say a positive reading experience. Um I think it took me a while to actually get into it. Th-
1: oh. I'm gonna bet this is your first manga.
3: No. I read the first couple of volumes of Battle Royale. Oh, okay. In and that, that backwards, backwards yeah, in the backwards. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Not 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 the it didn't take me a while to get into the reading of the backwards. It took me just a while to get into the story, I feel oh, like okay. to get One to get it
2: kind of it does kind of take the story a while to get into the story. To get into the story, true, true. Some of that
3: was through the art of me completely confusing the main boy character and his sister for about the first volume, and really having to focus on who was who. And I thought
0: both were female at one point. I had that same problem. I was (laughs) sixty pages in before I realized that Subaru was not a twin sister yeah well and that's one that of the things that and
1: that's one of the things that plays a role in this because in another part of the story that we'll talk about there is a um a secretary or a hotel check-in clerk or someone who is oh. like oh um you make a great couple oh, is there and fortune
3: oh yeah person, the fortune yeah.
1: teller and and then she's yeah. the person's like oh you have such a husky voice for a girl and the mm-hmm. character's like no i'm a boy and then she's like oh <gasps> You know, just very taken aback by that. And you're right, the art because these two are twins mm-hmm. yep. can be very difficult to keep the two apart.
3: The only way I I could tell a difference between them in, in like the first, oh, volume maybe the second one was the boy was wearing a crumpled hat and the girl was wearing a top hat like it was fully <laughs> formed. I was like, okay, now I know who you are. Okay,
0: Hokuto tends to dress a lot more flashy. Yeah, and sometimes like '80s nuts. Where I'm just like, what, did she just walk out of a, an episode of <laughs> Power Rangers Samurai? What? Matthew, what did you think of this, of this series? It's hard to get into because it's kind of a supernatural series. But I, I felt like there were parallels to Buffy. But some of the supernatural stuff is culturally derived to the point where I had no real conceptualization of what was going on. Right. It's always difficult to get into something because every time I see – the main character is named – his his uh, name is Subaru. Every time I see the name Subaru, I think of the uh, pickup truck that my friend drove in high school, which had the little seats in the back where we could drive around and do stupid stuff. So it was difficult for me to get past that. Subaru has a kind of a love-hate relationship with a character named, say, Ishiro. So I'm sitting there and I my mind is trying to keep Say Shiro separate and Say Shiro's last name is Suzurazuka which is similar enough to Subaru that sometimes my brain is no 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 no. There's some difficulty getting into it from never never a quality standpoint but just from an understanding of it, you know, remembering to start at the top of the page and read right to left. Yeah, was very difficult for I-
1: me. I'll say that that was kind of a hindrance for me. Not that I haven't read a lot of these before and I get oh, into yeah. them, but I read those in the physical copies. This mm-hmm. is a um, this is in a review copy that Dark Horse sent to us, and right. you have to go all the way back to the be- to the end of the the PDF file that they send us, and then yeah. work your way backwards, mm-hmm. work your way back, and then on and times where there's a uh, uh, splat, you know, not a, a two page. Uh, Right element, spread. it becomes very, it even yeah, becomes yeah. more difficult to read in that yeah. format. So I was kind
3: of
2: disappointed. Did you read
1: in it
3: that. in like a in a scrolly? Yes. Oh, really? I yeah. have a a thingy that you reads have the two page thingies. Thingy. Well, so my, was like, fr, 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 fr. yeah,
1: mine was doing it. Mine was doing it in the two page thingy. Yeah, but because the pages were offset from one another, yeah, yeah. the two page spread. We're not on the same page with one another. No, That's, but
2: yeah, That's yes, these are these are the uh, the woes of us uh, as, people who yes. get free review. No. Oh yeah, this yeah. Is what so, we complain about. I but um, as far the, as the review reviewing, comments, a lot that. of the time don't have uh, page information. Right. So the pages right. will be offset, or this one, for example. You know, even if you put it into a, a reader where it does automatically mangafy it for you. It, ne- it wouldn't necessarily because the information is not there. Right. But, right. You know, that's 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 something that I bet if even if I don't know if this is going to be available digitally. Right. Uh, but I bet they but, gotta, I mean, I got it. bet they got figure it figured out there. Yeah. Um And 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 uh, Dark Horse is putting this out as a right. single volume. Correct? Right. Right. Five
1: hundred and, and some in, pages in, that in we're page,
2: reading. Yeah. In, in,
0: something a that. Basic. Something that's that's unnerving to me as a longtime comic book reader, and again, this is not this has nothing to do with the quality of the book. Uh, Japanese panel construction is such that the word balloons, because Japanese kind of reads left to right and then up and down, right. the word balloons are tall. So mm-hmm. my brain is going wire all the word balloons sideways. This does not compute. <laughs> rar rar, you know, but. Aside from all of that, when you get into this story, you really get into kind of fascinating depths about their life, and it's Mm -hmm. long form storytelling with little episodes and arcs that feels, you know, like a Buffy or a Supernatural. Well, where you have these characters in the situation, and you have to sometimes I have to go and figure it out. Some of it I I'm like, okay, I I know what that part means, sort of, kind of. But then you your your context is not necessarily always there at the beginning. you have to work your way through it.
1: There's an element and it's and it's not really past lives, but we have met before kind of situations that characters right. don't remember, and as you peel right. away those layers, there are some very interesting uh, elements to that um, to that bit to me I, I love the paranormal part. I love the fact that this is a big sprawling story. The thing that bothered me the most was and it's not the um it's not the fact that um uh Shirashiro was oh Subaru I love you I love you I love you and they're both male that wasn't the part that bothered me mm-hmm. that he was in love with this this other this other guy the thing right. that just kind of seemed creepy to me was the fact that he's 25 and he's 16 yeah yeah and that's the part that I just couldn't that just kept bugging me throughout the whole space and i realized uh, we're looking at cultural differences. We're looking at yeah. you know different age appropriateness type stuff. Uh, but I was just like, oh, that's to me diving into creepy territory.
0: That's the part that felt very Buffy to me. The seventeen-year-old Buffy, oh yeah, seventy-five-year-old yeah. Angel, right? And you know, it, when you when it comes down to it, I think that. Again, I I, I'm not none of my business about the legalities and such, but I think that the expectation of a 16 year old boy, 16 year old man, whatever you want to call it, in Japan may be different culturally again to what we're expecting of a 16 year old in you know in the year 2013 in America, but uh, that didn't necessarily bother me, and none of neither of those bothered me so much as just the the really weird, dark, emotional, quasi-sexual, magical content that would pop up and you'd be like, ooh, that's disturbing and creepy. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. And oh now we're gonna have a dead baby. Oh, he give out.
1: Rodrigo, what about you? Do you have any problems with this? I mean what did you love this series, hate this series? Did you have problems with it?
2: Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't have the the only problem that I had with it is that it was kind of boring at the beginning. Um, But then at about the time you get to the party line story, it Mm -hmm. all seems to really gel together. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like dark and interesting. And the character development that we've seen wasn't just, hey, this is, I don't know, this is friends, except it's magic. This is actually kind of like Matthew said, this is Buffy. You know, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, there Mm -hmm. are funny people saying funny things and funny things are happening. But oh lordy lordy a demon we should all do something about this right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that uh, that was enjoyable when I realized that that's what the book was going for yeah. um, as far as you know it, it, it's interesting that what bothered me about the relationship between uh, Seishiro and Subaru is that. At first, it seems like a perfectly innocent right. homosexual relationship, right? Right. And I'm like, cool, all right, awesome. And then later on, it turns out that <laughs> Seishiro has some hidden darkness hidden around, and I'm like, oh, come on, guys! Yeah. It's like, you could have just had a straight up like misguided romance here, but now he's evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And Yeah, he, and that's the thing is, he's gonna turn out to be evilish, which you know, again, not having read past this. I'm hoping that this is more of a, um, well, actually, maybe in fact, kind of a Buffy Angel type situation where he is, he's the, the dark half of the equation. And, you know, they will, they will work that out and it'll cause romantic conflict between them. Mm -hmm. Or they Mm -hmm. could just continue to ignore it because, um, and I think that, you know, due to Subaru's personality, it's difficult to tell if he is in fact straight. And doesn't
1: he, he doesn't really ever come out and say games. either way? He just always plays it off right. as kind of a joke. And, and yeah. that's
2: and that's the thing is he could just because we've seen this character before, we've seen characters like Subaru before, right. where you know if Seishiro was a girl and he was straight, he would react the same way of like I don't know why this person keeps like following me around and telling me that he loves me. I just want to fight ghosts and <laughs> yeah. go to school <laughs> yeah. and well, but have yeah. my friends.
1: But does that kind of hint towards his maturity level, where he's focused on this and hasn't gotten to the point where he discovers? Oh, I, think,
2: I think so. And people, re- people within the book, and that's actually that's what's really good about Tokyo Babylon is that you read through it and you're like, man, this guy and this girl look a lot alike. Right. Like, this kid really looks like a girl, and mm-hmm. then in the book they reference that, "Hey kid, you look like a girl." You know, there's stuff where it's like, boy, this is like, you you know, you're reading is like, boy, he's a 16 year old boy. He has a really difficult, supernatural job. Wouldn't his school suffer? And sure enough, they bring that up. And that's what's cool about this book, as opposed to a lot of other supernaturally infused real book, real world things where. You know, you never see the character struggle in school or have to deal with real-world relationships. Mm -hmm. It's just a monster shows up, he or she transforms, fights the monster, defeats monster status quo. And in Tokyo Babylon, you know, there's a lot more discussion of how this fits, often poorly, into the real world.
1: Yeah, and I do like that uh, where everything isn't cut and dried. You know, it's not simple. I, I know a lot of stories that we read today in... Traditional mainstream comics, even though they may seem complicated, and even though they may have some shocking moments, it's all very simple. Mm-hmm. But here, you're yeah. allowed these characters to expand and grow and explore the realities of this universe that the the author has created, and it does bring in some of these bigger questions into it. And I do appreciate that in 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 these kinds of books. Uh, Zach, you uh, you said you had a problem with art. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty much. Very, very traditional. Big eyes, small mouth. Not that um, I had a problem with the art, type <laughs>
3: art, just the character uh, likeness and design. the, yeah. the, mm. the design. Um, besides that, I mean, everything else was wonderful. Everything looked super mm-hmm. clean yeah. and what I would expect from mm-hmm. um, a Japanese work.
1: Yeah. I guess for me, it just and again, it's a, it's probably a cultural thing that you probably start to see the nuances, but. You know, when you just pick up this book, it suddenly looks like a million other books that are of the same
0: same form. Well, I think that to some degree and, you know, this is not meant to be a dig. Normally, I would take a shot, but this is not meant to be a shot because I had a similar thing. I think what it is is we are not used to seeing where those differences are right that's yeah. what i'm saying it's, we're a, it's not, a cultural we're not nuance familiar thing. enough with this with this lexicon and this language right. as far as the visual language because the cross hatching throughout this is just gorgeous to the point where i was actually occasionally kind of distracted by the backgrounds and the cross hatching and the beautiful work and i'm like how can you read this on a monthly basis and not just sit there and go Gosh, that's a gorgeous panel. And then I started thinking that maybe that's kind of the point is that you go through and you're like, Oh gosh, this is a gorgeous panel. And you know, the art looking like proper manga art Mm -hmm. is it may be part of the point. It may be this is, this is the correct way to do it. And if you, you know, if you divert too far from it, then you're breaking out that form. You're doing something different. And maybe breaking away from that form means something different. You know, the difference between your Howard Shakens and your John Burns may well, still be there. It's just that I'm not necessarily I'm not reading enough
2: manga and don't
0: really see enough of the clues to tell.
2: I mean, I, I think I, I think that's I think that's pretty much dead on. You know, you look at some guys in in American superhero comics, you know, in in superhero comics. There's a certain look to things, right. and you know, uh, again, we see this wild variation between, you know, Jack Kirby and Umberto Ramos, right? right. Um, but people who are not reading American comics might see two things: were with like square or rectangular-headed guys with giant hands.
0: Yeah, right, you know, exactly. And, it's, yeah. And,
2: and that's and that's what it comes down. to. Yeah, that's that's
1: what I was trying to get across. It yeah. looks very traditional, but there are these. Little things, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure that this comes out, you know, like on a on a regular basis, Matthew. I don't think this is a month to month. I think this is a it comes out when it's done kind of thing, and it's everybody's Mm. excited about the new new installment, which is a different way of thinking about publishing, you know. Mm. Um,
2: But yeah, I mean, the artist and and explains the. Pain, the clearly painstaking, you know, amount of time spent on backgrounds or, right. mm-hmm. you know, that, that up, upward shot of Tokyo Tower, which may have been done digitally, or if it was done by hand, it's pretty impressive. I don't know,
1: in 1990s, yeah. probably not, a well, again, we're talking about Japan, but, uh, yeah. you know, probably not a lot of digital going on back then, but, uh, you know, that that actually was, of all the stories in the book, was my favorite story.
3: The,
0: it was and the one on the Tokyo there. Tower. One, yeah. Something that, that I, story. you know, hadn't really realized much before this is the creators, uh, Clamp. I had always thought that Clamp was like some studio full of you know guys tied to boards, like that episode of the Clerks right. cartoon. Apparently, it's an all female group of artists right. who work together as Clamp. Which I don't know why, but for some reason that kind of changes the way I look at this. As opposed to you know the more of a of a communal feel to the creatorship than the corporate expectation that I had previously. When you say this was created by Clamp, mm. I, I I don't know why that would be, but it's interesting to me. to, to well, you I know, mean look it, it changes
2: it, it changes the idea. Uh, you know it 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 takes the things that you're seeing and puts them in a different context, obviously. Yeah. It's What's like... Put a perspective that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really who, considered. It's, it's entirely possible that one person just sat down and designed a thousand dresses for a Subaru sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because she and she wears them all within, within the span of, you know, four or five issues or however long right. this is. Hokuto.
1: And I'm pretty yeah. sure at one point... In the last seven years, Clamp and Marvel worked on a project together.
2: I wanna to say they did, but I can't remember what it was. Was that was that just was that the um That
1: may have been the Marvel uh,
2: manga stuff?
1: It could have been.
2: Or was it that um
1: But it was in two thousand five.
2: There was also a Star Wars manga project. Did Which, was Marvel involved in that?
1: I'm still looking, so Okay. Uh, but any other thoughts on on this uh, on this book? What did you like most about it, Rodrigo?
2: I I enjoyed the that um, I think it would have been easy to say to make a to write a book in which is like here's how ghosts work and here's how we fight them and each issue is a different ghost in a different situation and we're fighting them, but we see this underworld just expand and expand and expand with each issue. You know, it's like, it's not just ghosts. It's like bad intentions take personal form. There's demons. There are other mystical traditions from other countries and other faiths play into it. And they're just over there, over there doing their own thing. Sometimes they like intersect with the story, but it's clear that in this world, there is this huge, you know, just dark, frightening pool. Of mysticism, where everything's sort of swimming around each other. Yeah, yeah. And that feeling again after the first couple of stories gets conveyed really well and makes it really interesting.
1: Zach, what about you?
3: I enjoyed the really like deep emotional pull of the yeah, yeah towards like the middle stories, the Tokyo Towers. St- story was very emotional um, yeah. the one where he Subaru visits the girl in the hospital in the coma who's the victim of the rape was a oh, yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. story yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and even the one with the girls making the uh, phone calls still had an emotional uh, pull on it above them wanting to be super special and stuff and so that was just wonderful I didn't think I could get pulled into uh, a story Emotionally so quickly, but
1: totally did. And Matthew, what yeah. about
0: you? The thing that I loved about this was the way it was able to completely immerse me in the characters' lives and their culture, no matter how you know, different from my day-to-day the culture is. But the worst part of it for me was I didn't necessarily feel like the first chapters were boring, I felt like I was trying to find some place without a map, and it took sure. me about three or four chapters to get even the slightest idea of which way the roads were going. Yeah. By the time I got sucked into it, I felt like I had a lot of effort into getting there, but then it really I, – I felt like there was payoff for that effort, and there was payoff especially – As we work through it, but the ending, and I know that it's the end of volume one, blah, blah, blah. The ending is just maddening because it practically ends in mid sentence for me. And I'm just like, "Mm, good freshman. (laughs) I want you can't just just (laughs) and then I come back. and You know, it's. And I, and part of me just kind of wanted to see a little battle fever J action in there. Give me, you know, (laughs) give me a guy in a helmet shouting, Ryu of the Northern Firestar. That, that to me is my expectation of, of a, of a Japanese storytelling. And this was not that, and that was wonderful. And that was fine.
1: Okay. Um, I think as we get into a bottom line discussion here, I think there's some really cool bits in this. Um, And there are really good, powerful stories. The art is what you're typically going to me. What you typically would find it's very well done, um, but for me, I'm going to have to say borrow this. I don't think that this is for everyone. I think there's some good stuff in there, but I think you have to be a right frame of mind, and I think it's something that you might want to build up to. So this is a check it out from the library if your library has it.
0: Zach, what about you?
3: Um, do we know how much this is going to cost? I do uh, not. I I, let me let me look, let let me look and this I'll was find 1399. it. Ninety nine um well if this is only 13.99 i would say it might just be worth picking it up i think um cuz even if you haven't really read any manga like i have the whole format is not a hindrance enough no. to uh-uh. still enjoy the the stories that are inside this and I, I think the art is wonderful, and the, the stories, like I said earlier, are, really are uh, deep and emotional, and are just extremely well done. So, if You're I think the price way. is right, $19.99? nine, nineteen ninety nine. I'm cheap for five hundred pages. For five hundred pages, that's a lot of pages for twenty bucks.
0: pages. It
3: might still be worth picking up.
0: You're paying two ninety nine for twenty pages with Marvel and DC. That's true. This is five times as much for nearly a thousand times. No, that's not right.
1: Matthew, what about you? Give us us your final thoughts on this
0: book. My final thoughts are this is not easy to get into, but it's worth getting into. And if you're into manga and you already know the bits and the pieces and the schmagegi, definitely grab it. I would say at the very least, this is worth a look. This is worth checking into. I'm glad that we had the extra week, although I'm sad that we didn't have a show last week. Because I spent the week just checking Wikipedia, oh yeah, I and did that too, websites and looking up, you know, the background of all yeah, of this yeah, cosmology yeah. and you know the the Onamiaki and all of the things that they're going you through. Know- and then I'd run into, oh, wait, well, what's, what's an Inugami? I'm right, going right. to have to go look that up.
1: You know, that's part of the fun. I, I, I really like that as part of the fun. And, and I know you say this kind of throws you in and you're trying to – there's no roadmap and you have to figure it out. And I do kind of like that in these types of stories where there's a huge universe and mm-hmm. as you migrate through it, you're kind yep. of funneling down to very specific things. But you're just kind of thrown in headfirst into this big wide world and, you know, eventually it comes to the, the big points. And so I, I yeah.
0: really, really like that. I think that it's awesome that it's not a, a number one issue mentality. It's right. We've showed up in the 16th year of this kid's life and all of the previous things are happening and all of those things are important. And we'll get to those when we get to them. But right now, a girl is about to get, you know, a nosebleed in dodgeball and we're going to go <laughs> deal with that now.
1: Rodrigo, what about you?
2: Um, I've been wanting to read Tokyo Babylon for a while because it's one of those that keeps popping up uh, in my radar. I think when it came out, it became an important work. I, I really don't know. I don't, I'm not as connected uh, with the uh, manga scene as, as I as I would like to be. Um, but reading through it, I was not disappointed. I think that it, you know, a lot of the time I complain about magic in comics. And what I liked about this is that clearly there is structure. You know, the, the people that are writing this came up with an idea of how things were going to work. And they're, they follow through with it throughout. There's romance. There's mystery. There's all kinds of cool things. I think if you're, if you want to get into manga or if you're already into it, there's no reason not to pick this up. Um, it's going to seem old. There are things like people using payphones and beepers and things. <laughs> but if you can get past that, which is cool. Yeah. You should be able to, um, eventually within a couple chapters, get right into this so i would say if you have any interest in any of the things we've talked about i'd say pick it up
1: all right that wraps it up for this issue thank you so much for listening and being part of the major spoilers experience next week we're going to kind of continue with the theme to an extent by taking a look at alex ross's battle of the planets why because we know that you love comics we do too and we will talk with you soon if you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at major spoilers.com. Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash major spoilers.
4: vision there's a of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand, but although every other page. Would be backwards, I suppose. I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as that comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. Yeah, what a major spoiler -er. Poking green or gray, I could just buzz through that blue wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all those tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I bag and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. What I really even need to keep up on all those escapades. I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast being caught up in a bit fun, via in the Middle East. with a game kings the wind, soldiers.
1: Spoilers is copyright 2013.